0: What's happening, Cardinal Nation? Welcome to the Cardinal Call Podcast, a classroom podcast with expert leaders that is designed to help take your leadership and your learning skills to the next level. I am Dr. C. Sean Owens, AKA the Professor Owens, per my moniker below, with my podcast co-host today, Dr. Andrew McCart. Dr. McCart, how you doing today? Dr. Owens,
1: it's great to see you. I'm uh, especially excited today for this interview someone I really uh, really look up to and be excited to talk to President Neely Bendapudi. Uh, cats out of the bag. I don't know if maybe people already knew that before they logged in here, but uh, oh, this is as someone that's uh, been at the university since 2011 and grew up around here, there's been more excitement around this university uh, in, in the last few years than, uh, than there ever has been so I'm uh, that I can remember. so very excited and looking
0: forward to, to get into it no doubt uh the, our guest today as you let, let the captive out of the bag is, is our 18th president uh she is no stranger to being first and for everyone out there this is our kickoff podcast for the cardinal call so with that being said if you or someone you know wants to learn to lead with compassion and expertise in a changing world and obtain a degree from award-winning faculty within a nationally recognized program in the area of leadership and learning Right? You can check us out at louisville.edu backslash online backslash campaign backslash B-S-O-L-L. All right, now that we have that bit of housekeeping out of the way, let's get started. So let's introduce our guest. She is the 18th president of the University of Louisville. She is the first female president. She is the first person of non-color. She's a first minority. She is no stranger to being first. And so let's welcome our very first guest to the Cardinal Call podcast. The one, the only, Dr. Neely Benapudi. Dr. Benapudi, how are you doing today?
2: Oh my gosh, I would take any class from both of you. I can tell <laughs> that this level of energy and enthusiasm. Thank you so much. I'm deeply honored to be here with you today.
0: Well, let's get started and let's jump right into this. So for all of our podcast listeners, this podcast is really designed to really, like we said, to take your leadership and your learning uh, to the next level. And yes, we have a little bit of fun on the podcast as well, but let's get started. So let's talk a little bit about leadership, right? Dr. Benetutti, Benaputi, what is your leadership style or how would you define leadership?
2: Hmm. So two questions. Let me, uh, let me think about it. Um, this is a, the classic question: What is leadership, right? And right. times, it's the easiest to define it by what it's not. So okay. the nice contrast is a manager versus a leader. Mm-hmm. I like to think about it as a manager is somebody who's appointed, and right. the leader is usually from above, right? A manager is uh, appointed, but a leader is anointed by the people who choose to follow them. So if you want to know if you're a manager, you look at the org chart. But if you want to know if you're a leader, you just look behind you. Is anybody bothering to follow you? So I do think that there's a distinction. It doesn't mean a manager cannot be a leader. In fact, we hope that every manager is. But the bigger point is that anyone can be a leader within an organization, whether you have that formal position or not. So I tend to view leadership as an activity. And if you ask me about my style of leadership, I like to think that I'm collaborative. So one of the things that um, I know about myself is that I'm humble enough to know so many areas where I'm not the expert. Right, And I have no problem with that because I do know that there are some areas within which I am the expert. So the collaboration refers to the fact that probably the biggest question I ask, the most often uh, posed question by me is when we're making decisions, whose voice is not at the table? Because a lot of times when we make decisions as leaders, it is not that we are purposely excluding people, but many times it's benign neglect. So it's trying to say who are all the people who may be impacted by a decision? Is there somebody that has expertise on this that we are not tapping into? So that's how I choose to describe my leadership style. But you know, it really depends on the people who are um, who would say if that's true about a leader. Because it's easy to fool oneself into thinking that's who we are. But it's a collaborative style is something that I work hard at.
0: Okay, that's, that's, that's amazing. I think you brought out some great nuggets there um, when you were talking about definitely the difference between being anointed and appointed uh, as a leader. I think that was a great nugget. So all our listeners out there, if you're writing, taking notes with your pens, your iPads, your notepads, whatever the case may be, leadership lesson number one, know if you're anointed or know if you're appointed. Um, so leadership expert Simon Sinek said this, you said, leadership is not about being in charge, but taking care of those in charge. Knowing that you are the president of the University of Louisville, can you describe some of those leadership challenges that you have while taking care of those people who are in charge?
2: I think that's a beautiful way to put it. I've often thought about leadership as the ability to serve more and more people. So mm-hmm. as you grow up higher up in some hierarchy, uh, or whether you're a leader of a large large organization, what it really does is it expands the scope of people you can serve. So I've always believed that if you're not prepared to serve, you don't deserve to lead. So because it's really about serving and supporting the people. So if you ask me, maybe one way for us to think about this question is how I spend my time. What are the buckets into which uh, I spend most of my time? So as the president of an R1 university, uh, I would tell you that one big part of my time is focused on our academics, the teaching, the learning that happens. And it's not just the professors teaching the students. You too know this better than most, that the teaching and learning happens both ways, that we learn as well as teach one another. So that's one part. Uh, So clearly the provost and the academic enterprise is one area that I support and serve. But second area that I support and serve would be our research agenda. And not many people realize this about the University of Louisville, but we are one of only about 130 R1 universities in the world, research one. And so that takes a lot of time, the creation of new knowledge, of posing those questions. So we have an EVP, Executive Vice President for Research. So that's another person that I would view myself serving. A third group would be our healthcare system. As you all know, with our taking over the Louisville-based assets of Kentucky One, uh, we have a big footprint, and I am so grateful we saved those healthcare facilities. Where would we have been in the pandemic if we had not? But Tom Miller is the CEO. This year FY21, it's a budget of $1.8 billion. So that's another person that I view my job as to support and serve and make sure they're moving the organizational mission. A fourth area would be athletics. So Vince Kyrae is our AD. Athletics is an interesting thing because it's actually a very small part of our budget, but it has a big impact in terms of, or the number of people working there but it has an outsized impact because that's how many people see us and interact with us. So that's another area. And finally, I would say all of the, um, oh gosh, since I started with the athletics, let me see. It's all the blocking and tackling. Are you impressed? <laughs> I can tell that. So it's like really the operations of the university, the finance, the operations, are things moving as they should. I also spent quite a bit of time on uh, communicating with key constituencies at the federal level, state, local level, to make sure they understand the importance of higher education. But I hope it helps your listeners understand the scope of what a university president's uh, responsibilities are.
0: Definitely. Dr. McCart, I'm definitely going to turn this over to you for a little bit. I mean, because I, I, I think um, Dr. Venapudi just really kind of segued into some of the questions that you uh, are interested in, in asking.
1: She did. She's uh, She got ahead of me a little bit, but I think that's okay. Um, so I, I really enjoy that buckets of time and how you divide things up depending on your, really the key areas. And it's it's just, it's been a great year for the University of Louisville in spite of all the things that have been going on. It's been a record-breaking year in research, um, 170 million. In, in research. I'm enrollment at 23,000, the highest in 20 years. And I'm referencing the U L magazine, if you can see that, that I...
2: You've done your research. Good job. You
1: well, know, I, I I read these every time, but I especially this time. But uh, no, it's there, there's so many good, new, good things that you've done in there. And I hope to touch on those as we go through this interview. But I, I want to ask a question about the um, uh, about the U of L Health and the purchase of Jewish Hospital and the other ex-Kentucky One Health facilities. And I, I think that leaders are often remembered for the bold moves that they make. And I think one of the boldest moves uh, for the university in recent years was this acquisition. And back a year ago, um, I had the opportunity to hear U of L Health CEO, Tom Miller, who you just mentioned, speak on a panel about the acquisition. And I, I was just extremely impressed with his acumen and his conviction uh, that it was the right thing to do and and how it was going to work and who would have known that just two months after I saw him that we were going to have to cancel elective surgeries and go through some of those things. But working up to my question here, um, so with these different buckets of time and these large budgets you mentioned and number of employees, students, you have to have a talented team to do things of this magnitude. And so how do you motivate, um, identify, motivate, and even stay out of the way of world-class leaders so that they can do just the best thing? I mean, that's a that's the $1.8 billion question, I guess, but...
2: Yeah, that's only on our healthcare side because on our academic side, we had a $1.2 billion enterprise. So I am aware that this is together a $3 billion enterprise. And what are we going to do? Because it's not the money, it's the mission. What we do every single day. I love the way you pose the question. So bear with me, especially the last part, stay out of the way. That's the big thing to remember. Um, I would say, to identify a team, I'm a big believer that effectiveness is not, you know, it's not the lone ranger, it's the solitary hero. We really need teams to tackle problems. Candidly, all of these are way too complex. So even though I've identified an individual, they would be the first ones to tell you that it's not just they themselves, it's the whole team. So something I've thought about There's so many um, books on leadership and ideas on leadership, but something that has resonated with me. So it's clearly not the only way to look at the world. But when I put teams together, I try to think of at least three big skills that the team has to have together. So whether it's one person who has all of these or complementary skills, so I'll start with that. The first part is I think that Uh, at the top for the leadership team, you need one or more individuals who are really good at diagnosing the problems, right? Before we can make change and improvement, we need to know what areas of concern there are. So clearly look for some people who have that skill and think about what is wrong with the system now. We also need one or more leaders who can take all of that and say, what's the vision that we are going to move towards? being able to articulate that vision and motivate people to join that vision. Then you need a third group of people uh, or the same individual who has all of these who are good at executing on that vision. They have to be really good at intervening skillfully, being diplomatic and getting people to work on this. This is this is one of the frameworks that's out there. So to me, I think about who do I have on my team that'll be really good at investigating where the issues are, bringing it all together and saying, what could we be? What is our, what's the big goal we're working towards? And then of course, you've got to say who will be able to get it done? You know, someone without a big ego who can uh, understand how to get things done in a very complex organization. I love Simon Sinek and the whole question of what's your why. So when you talk about motivating, that's something I think about. So I've told you broadly what I look for in a team, uh, that across my team that I have all of these skills. And in terms of motivating, something that I've always thought about is we talk about the golden rule, which is a great rule of treat others as you would wish to be treated. But maybe we even need a platinum rule where we understand how they want to be treated. You know, I, uh, I'm i being a little facetious here, but the point is, do we really know uh, not to assume that I know what motivates another person? What is the driver for me? Uh, clearly on a team No matter what abilities they bring, no matter what skills they bring, I want someone who understands that the mission comes first. So no prima donnas, really. You can have your little um, kick about what you're doing, but you've got to remember that higher education is about transforming lives for the better. So people who get genuinely motivated by a student you know getting a degree going on to do this or new research that's uh, helping us tackle new problems so fundamentally they need to be motivated by that that's important but beyond that to try to be mindful of Uh, where they are in their life what is it they're looking for what motivates them is it a title is it more flexibility in what they're doing Uh, i think those are things we all need to be mindful of as leaders i'll stop here dr mccart and dr owens because you may have specific directions you want me to go into but it's a great question
1: no this that was a great answer as well and so i uh uh, there's so many things I liked in there that you said, and it reminds me of, um, of Peter Singy. He's the from MIT. The, I know
2: him well, the Fifth Discipline.
1: That, that's right, yeah. There's a YouTube video I saw with him where he was saying that it's not about the smartest person in the room, and it, and it never was. And so that, I really appreciate it. That's what I thought of when you were saying, oh, how you find out whose voice is not being represented, who do we need to get around the table here? Who is the expert in this? And
0: uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed think that.
2: that- I will go one step further. If I think I'm the smartest person in the room, then I'm failing the institution. Because um, to me, uh, the leader at the top is not necessarily the one that's the smartest, but can get the smartest people together. It's like being a conductor of a world-class orchestra. So I'm never going to be as good a violin player as the person that's in charge of that, or oboe, whatever it is you say. But together, can you get them to play well together? And can you get the most out of people collaborating together? That's
0: a great
1: analogy. Yeah, that's... uh... I enjoy that I, as a lifelong learner i say if i'm the smartest person in the room i'm in the wrong room that's and
2: right oh, beautiful
1: it's, it's i didn't come up with that but it's a, sort of a philosophy i try so yeah well i i have another question for you that's um really um it's it's similar but another major initiative that we have at the university of louisville is the center for digital transformation and i'd like to ask you to talk a little bit about that but as i look at the ideas here of big tech and other experts looking into big tech such as google amazon apple microsoft and um, it seems apparent that they're going to look toward healthcare and higher education in big ways because those are industries ripe for disruption and there's a lot of uh, meat on the bone so to speak financially in terms of industries where the the prices have gone up and Uh, There's some margin in there and these companies need to continue to provide shareholder value with uh, values around a trillion dollars. Those are a couple industries that they are are eyeing for uh, disruption and to enter. And so I feel like it's just brilliant that UofL is partnering in ways in the Center for Digital Transformation and working with some of these companies. Um, So again, this is another totally different subject matter. How do you go? Could you just tell us a little bit about that um, center, please?
2: Well, thank you for your involvement there. I, you know, I really appreciate that. So the idea for the Center for Digital Transformation came about. I've been here two and a half years, so let me say that. And more than twenty-five percent of that has been during COVID times. So it seems so strange. But my very first year here, I too started to really think about what are we going to do with the technological revolution. At around the same time, there were some. Uh, publications that really caught my attention. One which I don't recall if it was Fortune or Forbes, but it actually listed uh, the, um, uh, I think Brookings Institute also had something about it. It talked about the top 10 metro areas that are uh, being threatened by automation where jobs would be at risk. And Louisville was in the top 10 in the country. So looking at things like that and the Commonwealth overall, so trying to say what are we going to do in this digital world to make sure we are preparing our students, citizens, the Commonwealth to be competitive. So one of the ideas of the Center for Digital Transformation was a a relationship with IBM where we said we've got to figure out uh, the word transformation was on purpose. No longer is digital just a nice-to-have that you could add on if you wanted to, that it's going to fundamentally transform. None of us could have imagined how important that was and how true it turned out to be. But for me, it also poses many, many challenges for us. For our students, it says, how are we going to teach and learn in ways that incorporate uh, a digital media, digital content, what are we going to do there? For our researchers, what are we going to study in fundamentally different ways? It also poses some big social challenges, such as what are we going to do about the digital divide? Because if one of the things that I love and that drew me to the University of Louisville is that among our one universities, among our peers, we have a very special spot, because one, we're one of uh, maybe 70 universities total that are both high on research and high on community engagement. So very few are at that intersection. One more thing is that almost 40% of our students are Pell Grant eligible. That's a very high number for an R1, I can assure you of that. And so we've got to make sure that these students who are looking to the University of Louisville to get an education that breaks the cycles of poverty and positions them for success, that we are equipping them to be competitive in a digital world. And so that's why we called it the Center for Digital Transformation. Mm -hmm. And um, as you said, I thought that healthcare was a natural fit that we needed to look at. We're going to look at multiple verticals, not just healthcare. But the fact that at, the, at Louisville, we have so many healthcare companies that are here, Humana to begin with, is a natural fact. So I'm so proud that through the Center for Digital Technologies, we now have the program through the NSA to train first responders and veterans and others for jobs in healthcare cybersecurity. Uh, I don't know if I veered off too much, in which case you can edit it out, but I do think there's a special obligation for us to work on digital transformation.
1: No, I wouldn't say that you veered off at all, and, and I think it was a, a great fit. And. I've studied public health. I've got a a degree in public health, and you mentioned the digital divide there. And growing up in rural Indiana, um, we have a lot of the same areas that we have here in Kentucky, with the eastern Kentucky, western Kentucky. With there, there's a a divide is the perfect word for it because as we, as the haves continue to succeed, and these um, telemedicine and things like that really benefit them, the have-nots just get further and further behind. And so, I think it's it's a perfect time in the history of our society for something like the Digital uh, Center for Digital Transformation. So um, no, it's uh, that you didn't veer off at all other than you keep answering questions I haven't gotten to ask yet, which oh. I know is a sign of a good guest, so.
2: I um, don't know. So you just throw anything at me.
1: <laughs> no. Well, I, I have a uh, shifting gears a little bit too, and um, but but not really along with some of the things you're talking about here. So in July of, well, all summer, really, we, we had a, a summer of incredible unrest in our city and our nation. And in July, uh, you sent an email to all faculty, staff and students, and I really, uh, we're, here's a spoiler alert. I love the email, but um, you mentioned that um, we're committing to building the premier anti-racist university at the University of Louisville. And so as you say in the email, talk is cheap, and, and you've done a lot more of the talk. You've been meeting with leaders, activists, friends throughout the Black and diverse communities across the nation. and. Um, also, just a, a shout out to a group I'm working on at the working with uh, the College of Education and Human Development. We're part of a project team. We're trying to interpret the cardinal anti-racism agenda for our college and look at how faculty, staff, and students fit into that agenda. And so, can you tell us just a bit about the import, importance of diversity to you uh, in the workplace, in the university, and um, just the importance of building the premier anti-racist university in the United States? And, you know, I'd
2: be happy to. Um, I I knew that this was a stretch goal, and we are saying we're going to do that. But the reason for putting it out there is to hold ourselves accountable. I definitely think um, you don't have to be a genius. uh, Anybody looking around, we realize we've got to do something as a society. The Commonwealth's motto of together, right, united, uh, we stand divided, we fall. We are divided and we've got to be united. And how do we get there? And I think as an institution uh, institution of uh, public higher education, it's really incumbent upon us to take a leadership role here. So uh, what gives me great heart is that, and great hope is that groups all across campus are embracing this and saying, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. For us at the university, this idea of we've got to do something to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion comes from my business background. And I'm going to say something that might offend some people. The reality, as somebody who goes back and forth, I will tell you, the reality is that universities talk a good game, but truly within institutions of higher education, everyone, not just us, we do worse on diversity and investing in it than the private sector does. I say this to you because a year and a half ago, well before anything happened, I had my entire leadership team take an anti-racism pledge, okay? This was through the CEO Action Forum. And this is a group of CEOs that said, we've got to do more. We've got to work harder on making sure that everybody is able to achieve to their full potential. So to me, the key word in the DEI is the equity piece. The reality is that we are better off. If everybody is able to bring their whole selves to work and be, you know, contribute and feel good about what they're doing, so it's a selfish motivation. It's not a altruistic. Oh, this is a nice to do. If in our own interest, we want everybody to be fully invested and to be fully engaged. Uh, this is a quest I've been on. I've talked about from 1999 on, and you will laugh. Why do I know precisely? It's not for this day, maybe another day, but truly it's something that I've been talking about and thinking about. Um, And for me, uh, I will tell you that we have a group that's working on the cardinal anti-racism agenda. At first, my inclination was, let's move quickly. But the more I talk to that group, it's uh, uh, Karen Chavez as the chair of our CODRA, which is the Commission on Diversity. Uh, and racial equity, as well as Dr. Faye Jones, who's our chief diversity officer and reports directly to me. Those two are spearheading it. What we have decided to do is that that group, there's a broad committee that's engaging lots of people across campus, they're looking at four broad areas. Faculty, are we doing enough to recruit, retain, promote, engage faculty? of color, of all kinds of diversity. Similarly, students. Are we doing everything we can to bridge the gaps there? We're also looking at uh, management, staff, sorry. The third area is staff. Again, what are the um, career ladders that we are creating? How are we supporting staff? And lastly, leadership, management at the top. Are we actually doing what we are supposed to do? I will tell you why I think this is so important for our university. When I say we will be an anti-racist university, it's a simple idea. Racism is the notion that somebody is inherently superior or inferior because of the color of their skin. What an insignificant difference. We are an institution of science. We know if we look at our genetic makeup, it's such a minor thing that differentiates us. So anti-racism is the firm belief that nobody is inherently superior or inferior because of the color of their skin. So the equity part is making sure we also, remember I told you 40% of our students are Pell eligible. Mm -hmm. A huge number of our students are first generation students. So if there are, it's the same for faculty and staff, but let's stay focused on students for a minute as an example, you have individuals who don't have the financial capital or the social capital to succeed, what are we going to do to reduce that inequity? That's all people want, an opportunity to succeed and an investment in them to give them that opportunity to succeed. So I'm really pleased that they're looking at it. We're going to bring it to the board of trustees. Uh, Oh, I know where I was going to go with this. People might listen to this and say, oh, great. This means it'll be wonderful for students of color. No, this is going to be uh, incredible and good for every student because the big thing, I guarantee you this, I'm a recovering banker and you still love me, I know that. But as I can tell you that from my business perspective, as people are looking to hire, they will actually prefer students who've worked with very diverse groups of people who know how to work, who have that cultural competence. So I don't want this message to be missed—that it's good for everybody if we have that ability to really identify and build on what we have in common.
1: Great that, answer, yeah. Great, great answer there. And then Dr. Owens teaches uh, diversity for us in in the uh, lead department and. I have a friend that says you want to be on the right side of history. And I think that that is really uh, something that you're leading the university through with this initiative and and others. But since we're talking about this one, to be on the right side of history and to do the right thing um, with a golden rule or platinum rule. But uh, it's a great answer. Thank you for that.
2: And something I believe in extremely strongly and I don't want to lose the opportunity. Um, It was a wake up call for all of us. And for us to be in Louisville where the national and international spotlight was on us. How do we not uh, stand up to it? The other thing I would say is I want to give credit to the University of Louisville, not to me, because um, there's a group called the Education Trust that you probably all know. It kind of is like the Better Business Bureau. They, uh, They actually rate and look at Uh, the success of institutions of higher education and this summer shortly before i talked about the anti-racism agenda they had um published a um a monograph i guess it's called segregation forever question mark so it looked at the top 100 101 excuse me most selective public higher education institutions. All right. So the top top 101 uh, public uh, higher ed institutions and of those, they rated them. And the title should tell you, it's a pretty dismal outlook saying segregation forever. Are we going to be like this forever? Mm -hmm. In that report, they talked about, they gave an A to institutions that had representative populations of both Black and Latino, Latina students, okay? And the, this might surprise you, but the University of Louisville was one of three out of the 101 that got an A on on the percentage of uh, uh, Black and Latinx students we have. So that was something I paid attention to. And it said to me, we already have something we can build on. Because if you're starting at zero, to say tomorrow I win the Olympics is not feasible. But to me, it doesn't mean we are great. It doesn't mean we are complacent. Uh, The harsh truth is that we're the best of a bad lot. But at least people have worked so hard in the past to get us here where we are one of three universities to be given an A. So what are we going to do if we don't say let's be the premier anti-racist university who will be uh happy to send you a copy of that report
1: yeah that would be great the segregation
2: if you say education trust segregation forever you can see it
1: okay yeah thank you We'll, we'll look into that and um so this next question goes uh to the really the question will be about goal setting and measurements metrics and things like that but um you sent an email on april 9th and where there was just a lot of certainty, uncertainty around COVID-19. We went from uh, spring break is going to be two days longer to now everything that isn't online and can be moved online needs to be moved online, and you remember it well. Um, and I took great comfort in something that you had in the email, that the University of Louisville is located in one of the nation's great cities, is one of only 69 institutions of more than 4,000 in the United States that is Carnegie classified as both research one and community engaged that you mentioned earlier today right. um, and so you say that we earned these elite distinctions because we have been and are now and will continue to be leaders in teaching research patient care community impact so in a world of and dr owens helped me frame this question in assessment driven data collection algorithmic world um, how do you keep track of all the data that needs to be tracked or do you have any tips for our leaders that are listening to simplify or clarify, you know, the waters of of all the data we have?
2: Um, I think it's a fantastic question. I really do. I don't think I've been asked this before in leadership talks, and I've always wondered why not. So thank you for asking this. First, I'll uh, kind of paraphrase uh, a quote by Einstein. So if I misquote it, I'm sorry, but it goes something like this. Not everything that counts can be counted. Mm -hmm. And not everything that can be counted counts. So let's begin with that. Uh, So I understand that not everything can be boiled down to numbers. Having said that, it is important to realize that what gets measured gets managed. You know, if you don't track these, you'll never know if you're making a dent into this. So my training is as a market researcher. So this is what I would go to. This This is where I would go to. And so I would tell you uh, that for us on our strategic plan, we did something that's quite different. If you look at institutions of higher education and you look at the strategic planning that they have created and go look up, you'll see that most of them have no numbers associated with it at all. It's all really nice words and frankly, it's indistinguishable because Who won't say we want great student experience? Who will not say we want great diversity and strength? Everybody says this. So what we decided to do in 2019 is we created a three-year strategic plan where we put out some bold numbers and this matters. So we said, to be a great place to learn means this, this, this. To be a great place to work means this, this, this. Mm -hmm. To be a great place to invest means this, this, this. So if you look, we had our one year follow-up that we sent out where we've said, let's take a let's take a stab at it. It won't be perfect. But to be a great place to learn would be that we look at uh, our retention and graduation rates. And we look at the graduation rates for all students and for our underrepresented minorities. How are we doing? Where are they going? Uh, what is the average student debt? You know, how are we doing with our support we provide them? And so to me it is important And under Invest, we said, let's track philanthropy, uh, both the dollars and number of individual donors. Let's look at our research performance. So um, I'll give you one example of why it's important to put these things out there, is we had made a pledge that we would uh, increase the percentage of need-based aid as an institution. Because if we're saying we're going to be diverse and we're going to be anti-racist, We've got to remember the equity comes back to equity. Are we supporting our students in this? And in three years, we've increased that. Uh, we went from 8% of our first year uh, freshman aid being uh, need-based to 17%. And so if you don't have metrics and you're not gonna look at it, you'll never know if you're making progress.
1: Mm-hmm. I've heard that quote before about the... Uh, what what well, gets measured gets managed. You you can expect what you inspect. That was one we say in manufacturing. But oh, yeah,
2: I got it. Yes, indeed.
1: That's that's great. So, um, and, and the the work, learn, and invest. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. And it's often we see these um, mission statements or vision statements that are are so long and they don't have measurable. Uh, quantifiable ways to see if we met them or not. How, how do we know at the end of the week or month if we did it? So. Great. Right.
2: If you don't mind, I'll add one thing on it, and um, which is the learn, work, and invest to me. It's either a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle. So mm-hmm. let us let us agree that one of our core missions has to be that we have to be a great place to learn for our students. But it's not going to be a great place to learn if our faculty and staff don't view it as a great place to work. If they hate being here, they're not gonna provide a great experience to the students. But you cannot create a great place to work for our faculty and staff, if you don't invest in them, right? If I say, Andrew, I believe in you, but I give you no resources, you know, you're gonna be successful. So we have to be a great place to invest. So that investment goes to our faculty and staff, which benefits our students, and people invest because they see that the quality of the students we're producing. So that's how I mean uh, it's a virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle if you drop the ball. And all of this because we celebrate diversity, we foster equity, and we strive for inclusion.
1: Wow. Well, that's, uh, well I, I would like to ask one one more and then give it to Dr. Owens for a, a fun question. Mm-hmm. Sure. Here. Time's been rolling along. We really appreciate this. Um, the there were some tough decisions again in the spring of 2020, uh, fiscal restraint, hiring freezes, retirement benefits were impacted other targeted areas. And I personally, I was glad I've got a, am a reformed business person, I think as you refer to yourself, but, uh, I was glad to see quick action and conservative actions being taken when you would hear through the grapevine from other colleagues, other institutions, um, maybe they weren't taking action or weren't taking it seriously. Can you share some philosophy on difficult decisions and, uh, what we can learn from that.
2: Thank you so much for recognizing two key elements to that. Uh, One is that it's difficult. And the second one that we made it quickly. Uh, The reality is it was tough. But any of you, I encourage you to look at what's happening at peer institutions. There are some things where you know if it's difficult, but it's the right thing to do. You've got to do it right away. And we have, and again, kudos to a great team. Dan Durbin, our CFO, the entire team, we were truly able to avoid much worse situations that people are going through now, because uh, it's one of those things where we said we need to act quickly. We need to act decisively because we don't know what the future holds. And so I'm very grateful for that. Again, I truly try to make these decisions based on what I say, which is, will it make this a better place to learn and work and invest? And the other thing is, across the whole team, there has to be an ownership mentality. This is my university. If this is my personal, uh, you know, responsibility, it's my organization, and making those decisions with our cardinal principles in mind. So we really, I do listen to a lot of people. So during COVID nineteen, it was interesting talking to my peers, uh, you know, whether in the state or in the ACC and how many people were involved. And most of them would be a handful of people that made the call. And for me, ultimately, I have to own the decision. I own the decision no matter where it comes from, but I, we really had over 50 people uh, engaged across the university in thinking about COVID-19 and what we are doing. So I am grateful. You never get complacent. I'm really grateful that we are positioned where we don't have to have uh the types of financial crises that many of our sister institutions are having to go through
1: Mm -hmm. well thank you for that and your leadership on that so well dr owens i'll um, hand it back over to you for a a last piece there and it's really great to talk with president bennepudi so so nice my honor
2: and now that we are done you know we're wrapping up you should both call me neely but thank you so much and andrew i am very excited i ohio state gave me the privilege of six months of every year I worked with a different business. And six months, I was a traditional professor. So I really tried to bring the best of each while avoiding the, we're not a for-profit entity, so we can never forget that. But anyway, you <laughs> let all of that out, I hope so. This is just you. All right, yeah, Dr. So, I'm ready for you, sir.
0: All right, well, you know what? I gotta give a plug out to our OLO program before we do this. Learning takes place, as we talked about from a great, you know, o- University of Louisville is a great place to learn work and invest and learning takes place in great learning environments. And the University of Louisville is one of those great environments. If you want to come challenge yourself to lead with compassion and expertise in a changing world and learn from award winning faculty within a nationally recognized program that specializes in leadership and learning, check out our bachelor's and master's degree program at louisville.edu backslash online backslash campaign backslash OLL. So as we always like to end our podcast with some fun questions. This is the fun question we have for you, Dr. Benapudi. If your life was the title of a book, made up or real, what would it be and why?
2: Oh my gosh, huh. My goodness, I am stumped. What a great (laughs) question. i think the accidental tourist okay Uh, because there have been so many roles i've had the pleasure of playing and entering and watching there may be a better one but um yeah okay the accidental tourist
0: i know you got to get going so let's do this final thought final thought for everyone out there right now dr benefit what is your wise counsel I don't like to use the word advice because we don't advise advices to people. We like to give wise counsel. So what is your wise counsel for 2021 to the OLL students at the University of Louisville?
2: Uh, first of all, I would tell them that they've already made an incredibly wise choice. I love our OLL program. I, I know about it. I've seen students go through it. I've interacted with faculty. So it's not just a generic plug. It's a wonderful program. So I, I would congratulate them on their wise decision and I think I would say that to them the big thing they need to do is uh, make time for themselves uh, uh, to be resilient because the resilience is the word, the counsel and to get there I would say making sure that you take care of yourself. This is advice or counsel that I find easier to give than to always implement. But I am learning more and more that this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And so you've got to pace yourself. And I think the name of the game is resiliency. There's no shame if you fall. There's no shame if you fail. What matters is do you get up and try again? Because the world needs our OLL graduates. We really do. So thank you both for inviting me. This has been such a treat and uh, I, I will be following the rest of the podcast with uh, great interest.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Benaputi. You've been a great guest. You've been phenomenal. We have enjoyed all the nuggets that you have dropped and given us to us today. So now we let you go depart and uh, go make that donor really, really happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. McCart. Obviously having Dr. Pudi as a guest on today, that was phenomenal. She gave us some great nuggets, where it came from, specifically from leadership. I mean, I know the University of Louisville, we are a university, we are an academic, we're a learning institution. But I mean, her role involves not only just the University of Louisville, it involves the healthcare system. I mean, she did a great job of breaking down those five seconds that kind of report to her. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Oh gosh, I was, was like a uh, masterclass in leadership from someone who's out there really doing it, making the tough decisions, leading people in, in a really a crisis in our in our country's history. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I had some of the few things that I like there, a uh, leader is um, it's the difference between being appointed and being anointed, and if yes. people follow you as a leader. Uh, looking at whose voice is not at the table. And she knows she's not always the expert in everything that they've got to do, but who, who is the expert and who can we get in there in the buckets of time, as you mentioned? I mean, I could I could go on and on, but it is uh, it's great to hear how she uses teams to tackle problems. And um, I have to say, as an employee at the University of Louisville I, and a um, someone living in this area, it, it's, it feels really good knowing that she's steering the ship of this large institution. Uh, wouldn't
0: you say you feel comforted after spending a little more time with her? hey i feel like we are in great hands moving forward you know what i mean great hands moving forward i think she has definitely um her humility you know what i mean i think she 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 hit the nail on the head so many times when she's saying like like she mentioned i don't have she doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room but in order to be a good leader is getting the smartest people in the room and and listening to them and i think she has done a phenomenal uh way of doing that like you said enrollments up um it seems like our our numbers are growing the institution is growing our impact and influence in the region is growing so i mean all arrows are pointing in the right direction under um you know dr neely's leadership so i can't i don't see you know I'm, i'm sure there is a chink in the armor but let me tell you, it is gonna be really hard to find it if someone is looking for a way um, under her leadership um, of what we're not doing right, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, it does make sense. And I, and I think she would probably say that there are chinks in the armor, but she surrounds herself with people that complement uh, what she's not a subject matter expert about. And uh, I mean, really just some of the, the biggest issues of our time, uh, the digital divide and digital deserts and how that's impacting, um, the different classes for lack of a better word here in the United States and uh, the anti-racism agenda, um, higher ed having a really a worse diversity record than the private sector and yeah you know, so many great things that she's if I had to, um, if I had to say and I, I am saying there that we we are as the University of Louisville we're facing some of the biggest issues and doing um, something we could be proud of as we look back on this.
0: No doubt. You know, I I look at it from that conversation. We talk about all the time or we use and we say, you know, kind of just among us. I think I I stole the quote from you. I'm not so all our listeners know I stole this quote from Dr. McCart. Um, But in one of our talks, you mentioned that you you can't count the number of seeds in an apple um, or you can you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. And when you teach, you never know how many lives you influence. It's definitely clear that Dr. Benaputi um there are it's both she gave us some seeds today but we don't know the impact that that's going to have on our viewers our listeners and it's very clear that she is the product of being around some very good great leaders as well
1: no, no that's right that's right and i uh am really glad to hear how much um teaching she's done I think I read that once upon a time whenever I was, uh, when she first came to the university, but she would, she would teach six months of the year and, and also be a, a business person. And so um, I always think that's great when someone's running a business, I know this isn't exactly a business, but it really a $3, $3 billion uh, business, frankly, is how I would see it from my business lens. But um, knowing how people operate at different levels of the business is just essential. And uh, she's done that. And I like that she's data driven, but also very much qualitative and relationship driven. I think it's uh, I think she's a great leader and a great uh, guest to kick off the Cardinal Call podcast.
0: Oh, she was a phenomenal guest to kick off our podcast. So let me go ahead and get this last plug for our OLO program, and then I'll come back and we can talk about your final thought for your wrap-up and your final sure, code and your final technical. So the OLO program here at the University of Louisville fosters leadership, learning, and performance to provide relevant solutions for a changing world. We offer programs at the bachelor's, master's, and doctoral level. Our programs educate professionals who focus on leadership, organizational development, human resources, and workforce development in order to benefit individuals, organizations, and society as a whole. Check us out at louisville.edu backslash education backslash departments backslash e-l-e-o-d backslash o-l-l so that was our final commercial so dr mccart what's your final thought final takeaway for today
1: whenever we talk to aspiring leaders like this um that makes me want to go read more learn more be better um i uh just it's inspiring. That's another way of saying it's inspiring uh, that to, to be better and to learn the kind of things that, that she's learned along the way that's made her such a great leader. So I uh, we're we're coming out of a um, kind of a cold winter at the time of this recording. And I think the spring semester is always a time that I have to say I like it a little better than the fall semester, because as we go through the spring semester, the, the sun's coming out, the days are getting a little longer. Um, Trees blossom and that's you know that, that's really how I feel after uh, an inspiring conversation like that. I feel like the the opening up process and as a lifelong learner it's just great to to um, pick up so many uh, bits and pieces of leadership from from somebody who's not just speaking from theory but from practice.
0: I agree with you 100%. I mean, the great takeaway I took away from this is definitely the anointment versus appointment and the leadership. Um, And, you know, I would definitely tell all our listeners out there, don't forget to like, subscribe, download and share this podcast. with any way you can so that you can be updated on everything that's going on with the OLL program at the University of Louisville as well as you know you can go back and play this and learn some very key nuggets as far as your leadership this is practitioner driven the notes that Dr. Benaputi dropped to us today this is you can take these and just like in any of our classes you can go apply them the next day into your work life environment your workplace environment maybe even in your family or relationships and you can really see the fruits of this in the future so That being said, Cardinal Nation, keep leading, keep learning, and keep influencing. We hope to see you soon, but until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, download, share, do everything you can. Comment, email us, everything you possibly can to keep updated about new podcasts and information connected to the OLO program when it's released. Take care and stay safe. Have a great day, Cardinal Nation.